You're listening to the Faith Roots Audio Podcast with Pastor Willie George. You can watch the full video version of this episode and join the conversation with your comments on the Faith Roots YouTube channel. Simply search Faith Roots on YouTube and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, here's Pastor Willie George with today's message. Hello, I'm Willie George. Welcome to this edition of the Faith Roots Podcast. We're talking about the law of continuance. Simply this, what God begins with a miracle, He sustains with a miracle, and He finishes with a miracle. And uh, that's good news for us. Um, I got a letter one time, and I said this earlier in this series, from a little boy who wrote me and gave me Philippians 1.6, He which has begun a good work in you will complete it or finish it until the day of Christ Jesus. Listen to me. That meant the world to me. I needed that word at that time. And I see this law throughout the Scripture, and one of the greatest places for its manifestation is found in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet. And we see it beginning in verse 30 or chapter 36, where Ezekiel prophesies to the land of Israel and tells the dirt, the soil, the agriculture, the trees, the fruits, all of that. says, be productive. My people are about to come home. Then we see in the next chapter that the children of Israel were hopeless. The Jews had been killed in the Holocaust, six million of them. They were very weak. They did not have great resources Many of them, when they fought their battle of independence, were carrying nothing but broomsticks. They didn't have enough guns to go around, yet they miraculously won their war of independence. And now they have thrived. They have done really well. We have seen Ezekiel 37 come to pass. Ezekiel 36 has come to pass. Ezekiel 38 and 39 has not, they have not come to pass. And so we're going to take a look at them. And so I'm going to read to you from uh, the New American Standard Bible. And it says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws. I will bring you out, all of your army, horses and horsemen, all of them splendidly attired, a great company with buckler and shield, all of them wielding swords, Persia, Ethiopia, and Put with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer with all its troops, Beth Togarma from the remote parts of the north with all its troops, many peoples with you. Be prepared and prepare yourself, you and all your companies that are assembled about you, and be thou a guard, or you be a guard for them. Now, this is a prophecy about the greatest threat to the nation of Israel once they have returned to their land. This prophecy could not have been fulfilled by anything that happened in World War I or World War II because the Jewish people had not yet reestablished their homeland. This prophecy could only be fulfilled after they became a nation in 1948. But even then, there are other details 
that had to be fulfilled. Things had to change in order for this prophecy to be fulfilled. The placement of this prophecy puts it in our time because it follows the dry bones prophecy. We have seen the dry bones prophecy literally fulfilled in my generation and, 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 and just slightly before I was born. 1948, I was born in 1952. So just before I was born, we see the beginning of the fulfillment of the dry bones prophecy. This attack by Gog, the chief prince or the Rosh prince of Meshach and Tubal, uh, he is a direct challenge to God's work of restoration. This is not the battle that is spoken of in Revelation chapter 19, where Jesus Christ fights against all the armies of the earth in the Megiddo Valley and ultimately into Jerusalem. There are differences, and they're manifold. And here is the first one. Gog, the leader of this army, is killed and he's buried in a grave. That's found in Ezekiel 39. The battle in Revelation 19 involves the Antichrist who is taken alive along with the false prophet and thrown immediately into a lake of fire. So he's not put into a grave. Gog and the Antichrist are two different beings. The battle of Ezekiel 38, 39 is fought in the mountains on the north of Israel and in the valley east of the Dead Sea. That's Ezekiel 39 and 11. The battle of Armageddon is fought in the Megiddo Valley and comes into the city of Jerusalem. There is no mention of Jesus Christ in this passage, Ezekiel 38, 39, coming to fight for Israel. He is not mentioned there. He is not there and neither are heaven's armies. God is working there, but it's in an invisible way. It is set for our time, our era, because of the allies who are mentioned. Meshach, Tubal, Togarma, and Gomer are ancient people groups who once lived in what is now Turkey. And so Turkey is well represented here. Another thing it says to you is that Turkish people are not just one people group. They're made up of many ethnicities. And so they are all going to be a part of this. Persia is mentioned. Persia is the nation of Iran. Now, when I was a kid and when I was in high school, the Shah of Iran was an absolute ally of the United States and a friend of Israel. But in 1979, when the Shah was overthrown and when Ayatollah Khomeini became the leader of Iran, everything about the nation changed and it became an enemy of the United States and an enemy of Israel. That happened in 1979. Here's another one. Libya has become an enemy of the West. Now, again, when I was in high school, there was a girl in one of my classes who had just come home from Africa. She and her family worked in the oil industry in the country of Libya. And very often the teacher would have her describe some of the things that she'd experienced there and what it was like to grow up there. And, and she was very favorably disposed toward what she experienced. But 
Not long after she came back to the States and her family came back to the small town where I went to high school, not long after, Libya was overthrown. The government was overthrown by a military leader named Gaddafi, and the whole country changed. Libya is not pro-Western. There may be a few people here and there who are, but the country by and large is very much allied with Russia today. Noticeably absent are the immediate neighbors of Israel, Jordan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Lebanon, and Syria. None of them are mentioned as being partner to this invasion. Now, there would have been a time that all of them would have wanted to be involved. So this invasion then could not have taken place when Israel first declared its independence. 1948, all of these nations launched an attack against Israel. Today, they have either made peace with Israel, or like Syria, they are in no condition to make war on Israel at all. They're not a part of this invading army. So we see that this time frame is set for our day. Now, I believe it is Russia who will lead this group. I believe that the word Rosh is a proper name and that it, will, it does describe uh, the country of Russia. Uh, the weight of the evidence favors taking Rosh as a proper name in this passage. Now, I don't have time to read all of this, but in their wonderful book by John Walford and Mark Hitchcock, it's called Armageddon, Oil, and Terror, and it's several years old. They defend the idea that Rosh is a proper name. Another thing that they do is they tie Rosh to Russia. This was the opinion of one of the greatest Hebrew scholars ever, a German by the name of Wilhelm Gesenius. He believed that Rosh was a proper noun and that it particularly referred to the people of Russia. Another thing, Russia, Rosh has been turned back from doing this. This is a second evidence I believe it's Russia. And this is Ezekiel 38.4, King James Version. I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth. Now, in 1982, uh, the Israeli Defense Forces went into southern Lebanon because the Palestine Liberation Organization was shooting rockets over the border into northern Israel. They went in to stop the rockets. When they got into the area south of Beirut along the shore of the Mediterranean Sea, they were shocked by what they found. There were huge, big digging machines that had dug these amazing tunnels, and they had put in these tunnels all kinds of military equipment. Now, there's a book all about this. And it's called Magog 1982, probably is out of print, Magog 1982, canceled by an author named David Allen Lewis. And it's a wonderful book because he details what the IDF found in southern Lebanon. All of this military equipment was, was put there by the Russians, and it was not there to equip the PLO. 
there was enough military hardware there to outfit a force of hundreds of thousands of invaders. <clears throat> and there was coffee all over the place. And so they were planning on doing this in 1982, but Israel caught them before they could come. Now, I think it was ABC who did a little report on this for a weekend, and they pulled it, and there was no more talk about it. When I went to Israel the first time in 1988, I talked to IDF guys, and in the very typical uh, of IDF people, <laughs> and I asked them, do you know anything about this invasion of Lebanon, and did you guys find a big weapons cache of Soviet weapons in southern Lebanon? And this Israeli, uh, the first guy I talked to, said, I, I can't tell you. I can't answer that question. I, I can tell you this. He said, in those days, we did not have money for target practice. We, we couldn't shoot bullets because it wasn't in our budget. He said, but after we went into Lebanon and came back, we had all the bullets we needed for target practice. So uh, there he was. He in, indirectly answered my question. I asked another Israeli uh, veteran, uh, do you know anything about this? He said, I can't tell you yes or no. And that's very typical. But he said, I can tell you this. The semi-trucks were coming back and forth from Lebanon for months, picking up all of this stuff. And he didn't tell me what they were hauling, but he said they kept hauling it. So you might want to see if you can find that book, uh, Magog 1982, Cancelled. Uh, it details the tunnels and the weapons. So... God said, I will turn thee back, meaning that whoever this is had to be turned back first, and that does fit Russia. Russia has been a guard for all these Israel-hating nations since the 1960s. Ezekiel 38.7 says to Gog, be a guard for them. So whoever this Gog character is, he is protecting all of these invading nations. Now, you can't say that about Turkey, and you can't say it about Persia. They certainly have no love for Israel, especially Turkey now. They have turned, but they have not been equipping all of these other nations with weapons down through the, 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 the period of the last 60, 70 years. It has been Russia. All of the military hardware has come from Russia. And then here's my last reasoning for it. The types and the shadows point to Israel's involvement. Now, you cannot use a type or a shadow to approve a biblical doctrine. But when a type or a shadow agrees with biblical doctrine, then it can certainly shed some light. Listen to this. This is Amos 5.18. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. It's as if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. So here Amos lays out three different op uh, opposers, enemies of Israel just before the day of the Lord. There is the lion. That was the British Empire. The British Empire, symbolized by the lion, did not work to facilitate a promise they made to the Jews to give them the land of Palestine. 
In fact, what is today all of Jordan and all of Israel, including the West Bank, was a part of the Balfour Agreement, the declaration that was made to give Israel a homeland in the Middle East. The British gave it, but they did not keep it, and they fought to keep the Jews from coming back. They fought to restrict immigration, and uh, Britain went into the, the World War II with a tremendous empire and came out with almost nothing, lost all of her colonies. And so Britain didn't prosper for this. The lion was the first enemy. Where Britain stopped, Russia picked up. They're the bear. They have supported every enemy of Israel since the 1950s, late 50s, and the early 60s. Egypt and all of their attacks, Syria, even to this day, they, they have backed up Syria. They have bases in Syria. And so they are very much a part of this. You see the evidence of the sponsor and the pictures here. The serpent in the house is the Antichrist. And so you see the same thing in the story of David. He kills a lion, then a bear, and then a giant with six pieces of armor, whose height is six cubits and a span, and whose spear's head weighs 600 shekels of iron. He's a picture of the Antichrist. So what we see in a shadow is David's struggle, Messiah's struggle, supporting the nation of Israel in the end of days. Lion, bear, Antichrist. Lion, bear, Antichrist. Britain, then Russia, then uh, the Antichrist. That's what you see both in Amos and in 1 Samuel. Well, that's all the time I have for today, but we'll pick up here tomorrow. See you then. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Ratings and reviews help us reach more people. So take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and consider sharing an episode with a friend or family member that needs to be built up and encouraged in the Lord today. Thank you for listening.